0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. I think about the early days of walking with Christ so many years ago now. um, I had a, a real appetite for Scripture, and so I was listening to all kinds of preachers on the radio, but I was also listening to Christian songs. And I remember the first time I heard that song that we even sang this morning, that line that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. There was something about that line that I knew rang true in my own heart, was that I felt that that this new beautiful light that was shining in my life, that at the time I... I didn't really understand it like I do now, it was just the Holy Spirit illuminating what was true and beautiful about Jesus as my Savior, that that was beautiful, that was new, that was satisfying to my soul, but I could also feel the tension of the world calling my name, the longing to go back to other things that were shining also in my life. Francis Chaver wrote a book that was called How Now Shall We Live? In light of the light that God has given us, in light of our eyes being opened to our salvation in Christ, to the horrors of wrath and punishment that we have been saved from, to the eternity that waits for us, but we're not there yet. So how do we live in light of that? How do we live our lives as those who have been given this enormous gift, this incredible truth that we've been saved from the wrath of God for all of eternity, that we don't have to be afraid anymore, and yet we're not home. We don't know how many days we get on this earth before we get to see Him face to face. No more mirror dimly, but seeing our Lord face to face and to behold him and to acknowledge his greatness. How do we live our lives? How do we maintain a vibrant, healthy, engaging faith, a life of worship? Well, I can tell you that many people don't. They get saved, genuinely saved. And there's something in their life that still has a grip on them, some relationship, some way of thinking, some way of understanding success and failure, some sin in their past that because of that they feel so identified and ruined by that particular sin that they never fully embrace their new identity in Christ. They're always going back to, yeah, but I really did blow this or that, or I really did make this dreadful mistake. could be a mistake in... Business could be a mistake, some moral failing, something like that. But they're so identified in it, they never really embrace the new life in Christ. And let me tell you this, friends, as we look at 2 Timothy, you are hearing the words of a man who knows that he is soon to die. And that he is speaking to his young uh, protege, the one who is now the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And the beautiful thing about that is we not only know that Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus, we got to see how that church began in the book of Acts, chapter 19. I believe I'm saying that right. I could be saying that wrong. But it's somewhere right in that section where the book of Ephesus gets its beginning because there is a revival. There's a group of men who have decided that they will be itinerant exorcists. Great job if you can get it. I don't know if the pay's any good. But they had gone into Ephesus and they had started to quote things like this. I adjure you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Come out of that man. Didn't go terribly well for them. This is how the church began in Ephesus, this Roman outpost where there's all kinds of pagan idolatry. There's a demon-possessed man who leaps on these exorcists, masters them, these seven brothers, Beat them up and send them out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, that, that might get the attention of the rest of the people of Ephesus when something like that happens. And it says that the people of Ephesus, when they saw and heard what was going on and how this had happened, that there was a great revival that took place in the city of Ephesus. And this church became a great church, great doctrine. Uh, great serving, great suffering. They were a great church. We find out later on that they were great at everything, but they had what? They had lost their love for Jesus. One of the most central things about maintaining your walk with God is paying attention to the dials of your life and asking yourself, where am I at as far as my love for Jesus Christ? Is it, Alive? Is it awake? Is it vibrant? Is it burning low? And if so, why? Do you have the ability to read those dials? You know what I mean by that, right? You set any one of us down in front of a, a like the cockpit of a 747 and there's just too much information, right? You're like, seriously, could all these dials possibly be necessary? Can't we just find like an accelerator somewhere? But, but when you put me in f- behind the wheel of a car, I'm pretty sure what I'm looking at. Miles per hour. I know how to read the dials. Do you know how to read the dials of your soul at this season of your life to ask this question, where am I when it comes to my relationship with the Lord? What is going on? What is it there is high pressure or low pressure in my life right now that is going on? Where am I as far as my love for Jesus Christ? Because I know this, you are also prone to wander and you probably feel that. You feel that? When you slow down and you think through the Christmas season about what Jesus has done, it's like the flame ignites and man, you just start to feel the joy of being saved. But somewhere around January the 21st, you start going, yeah, life's just busy. A lot going on. Work, kids, all of it. Lots going on. And because of that, we lose track. As we look at this passage, and it's a relatively short passage, we see some men who absolutely lost their way. We see another guy who is probably a hero of the Apostle Paul. A guy whose name you probably didn't really know, or maybe you've read it once or twice before, but wasn't a name that you were ever going to put on a jersey, or even on a coffee mug somewhere. This guy is an, a, a, a hero to the Apostle Paul. He'll be a hero in heaven someday. I want you to engage with the Word of God this morning. I want you to look deep into your own heart with the help of the Holy Spirit and ask yourself the question, Lord, where am I as far as my love for you? Because that's going to determine an awful lot of how I live my life as a Christian before coming home. So friends, I want you to just slow everything down for a moment. I want you to listen well, and I want you to let me pray over you as your pastor. That God would let you hear His voice without any ambiguity today. That you'd hear Him speaking to you about where you're at in life. That He would help you read the dials of your life and understand where you're at and what is going on. And let Him ignite the fire of grace in your life again. Pray with me. Well, Father, I just want to say thank You for the worship songs we've just sung. It's so good to come together with the church and, and herald the name of Jesus, exalt Him. We know, Lord, that You gather with Your church and there's a lot of joy in that for us, like a, like a great furnace that comes alive as the church comes into this room. It, it warms us and it encourages us. And Lord God, I want you to speak to us this morning. I want you to use your word to speak to your people today. I pray you'd help me to get out of the way of that and to just let you speak clearly to your people who you love so much i pray that that love that you have for us would ignite a great love in us for you help us god we pray in jesus name amen second timothy chapter 1 Verse 15, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are phygellus and Hermogenes. I can only imagine the weight of that statement to Timothy. Maybe it's new knowledge to him. Some of it he'd say, Well, yeah, I, I knew a lot of people had turned away. Not turned against. They turned away. There's a difference. It, it's as if They were at one point really engaged, really accessible, really working with Paul. And then because of the pressures that were coming their way, they just kind of faded on back. They just kind of faded into silence. Now this is a hard thing for Paul after this many years and years of church planting and pouring into church leaders to say at the end of his life to one man, you're it. You're the only one that's left. You already know this that that all have turned away from me. Now, this should not surprise any of us, though it does to some extent. Because Jesus said that a servant is not greater than his master. He says, In John chapter 13, verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Jesus also felt that sting of loneliness after three years of pouring into the apostles. What happens on the night that he is betrayed and he is arrested? They all just vanish. They all just take off and leave him there. You ever meditate on that little passage where he's praying in Gethsemane and he takes his three closest friends says, stay with me, wait with me, watch with me. And comes back and finds them sleeping. And you kind of think, gosh, not me, Lord, not me. If if I'd been there that night, I I would have been right there with you. I would have stayed with you. I would have been a better friend than that. I wouldn't have left you like that. Okay, well... Jesus was left alone that night. Jesus was abandoned that night. Jesus, and the hours, he's dying. He's dying alone on a Roman cross, and people have fled from him. And so Paul says here to Timothy, You're the only one left. I. I know it's easy, I do this, maybe you do this also, to look at someone like the Apostle Paul and imagine a super Christian. Imagine somebody that never has this sense of angst in their soul or this loneliness, but this book is really very human in its content. You see the humanity of the Apostle Paul saying to Timothy, gosh, I'd love to see you again. I would love to see your face again. It would bring joy to my heart. And then he says... Everyone is turned away. Even these two guys. Even them. Now that might have been the shocking part. I would imagine somehow that Timothy, when he heard the name Hermogenes and Phygelus, he thought, really? Those two guys? It can't be. Did I lose lose power here? No? Sorry. Okay, it's back. Wow, okay. I was about to blame Bill. <laughs> Those, are Those are brand new batteries. They are. Uh, yeah, these two guys, even them, even these two guys. Now, you have to know, they were probably there on the day when the, the seven brothers got beat up in Ephesus. This guy's a resident of Ephesus, um, Timothy's the pastor of Ephesus. These two guys were probably there for the start of it. These guys were probably the one or two guys that you'd say they would never walk away. Not these two guys. Not these two leaders. These guys are amazing. These guys are on fire. These guys are engaged. These guys are courageous and bold. They would never be the ones who would walk away. Yes, they would. And you know, there's not a whole lot of times where you get names in Scriptures. I mean, there's quite a few, but if you think about it, all of Scripture that will last for eternity, future, it will always be there. These two guys' names are mentioned only for their cowardice. That's just not the way you want to get named in Scripture if you are going to get named, right? You know? I mean, it's coming to point, right? When you're at some feast in heaven a hundred years from now three hundred years from now you sit down and someone says hey I want to introduce you to Phygellus hang on I know you oh I know oh okay (laughs) that's how they're named in this book now here's something that I have learned over my years of walking with Christ and I am starting to realize this is the kind of things that old men say We say things like, we're not going to air-condition the whole neighborhood, are we? You know, we say things like that. Well, they also say, I've been doing this a long time and I've learned this. Mark this down and if you make notes, here's two things that you can expect. If you walk with Christ long enough, you can count on. These two things will happen to you. Number one, you will face the temptation to turn away. You're going to... At some point, face the temptation to go silent because of your faith in Christ would embarrass you. It would not be convenient in your new situation, new neighborhood, new job, new school, new team, new something. Your faith in Jesus will make it harder for you to engage, to make money, to have friends, to be included. And you will face the temptation to hide your faith in Jesus. It will come at some point. That's what's happened to these two guys. That has happened to me. I'm relatively bold when it comes to evangelism. If, you, if you're my Uber driver, you're going to get it. I mean, we only got a certain amount of time, and I got to get the gospel to you, buddy, so we're going to have to get there. We'll do a little chitty-chat, but I'm, I'm going into the gospel at some point. If you sit next to me on an airplane, you're probably going to get the gospel. I just get real awkward when it's my family and friends that aren't saved. I'm like, ah, just beat around the bush. Don't quite know how to get into it. <laughs> just trying to go, oh Lord, help me. Help me. I, my job, you know, as soon as somebody knows that I'm a pastor, like, oh, okay, that makes sense. We're gonna, we know what we're gonna talk about. But there's times when it just feels awkward. When it feels like, yeah, maybe not today. It's not just sharing the gospel, it's how you live your life. There will come times when your faith in Christ won't be cool, won't be acceptable, won't seem intellectually satisfying in any way, and you'll want to try to hide that faith, and that's exactly what has happened here. And so Paul tells Timothy, even these two guys. What's the second thing you can count on that will happen if you walk with Christ faithfully? The second thing is this you will face, face a deep sense of loneliness. At some point, you will be standing there and feel as though you are only the only person in the world that cares about this, about the Lord, about knowing Him, about standing for Him. Listen, people... <laughs> People, I think, have really good intentions. They really mean well when they sign up sometimes and they say, man, I'm all in. And then when it comes down to it, they're not. And you will face loneliness. Jesus faced loneliness that night in Gethsemane. He faced utter loneliness on the cross. Like nothing we can ever even begin to imagine, the isolation of the cross. Paul faced it at the end of his life and you will face it as well loneliness like this I'm the only one that pursues this relationship if I don't call them I don't get invited to stuff you ever felt like that like hey I'm always the one on invite I'm always the one asking and pursuing would you like to go would you like to do and you start to feel a a dread and a loneliness that if you don't make that initiation (laughs) it's not gonna happen that sense of loneliness grows as you continue to follow and serve Jesus. And here's something I can tell you. I really believe that that sense of loneliness in my life that I've faced so many times, like we started this church, and one of the things my wife asked me, she said, I don't want to do it alone. Can we invite some couples to come with us? We invited five couples, and some for good reasons and some for reasons I didn't like. We're it. <laughs> They're gone. This is it. And and again, I'm not impugning them. I mean, for some of them, I think, man, that was just the way it worked, you know? And I feel for them. There's a compassion for them. But at the same time, that loneliness multiplies as you serve Christ. You will feel it. You will experience it. That loneliness is an invitation to lean into Jesus. See, because He's never going to leave you and He's never going to forsake you. That loneliness, I believe, is actually a shared loneliness. It's His loneliness saying, yeah, but I'm here. And you got me. So, in your loneliness, turn to Him. It will come. People will fade. People will go silent. People will leave you alone. And you will face that loneliness. And here's something beautiful. God already saw that coming. Listen to the next verse. After seeing... Among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, he mentioned someone else. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisophorus. For he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me and earnestly uh, searched for me earnestly and found me. Let's stop there. You can't help but like this guy. As I said, someday you'll be in heaven and you'll be sitting down to a meal and it's going to be Onesiphorus. And you're going to go, hey, hey, yeah, I know you and I heard about you. His name means help bringer. Help bringer. That's a a great name. This guy is walking in as everybody else is walking out. Onesiphorus is a help bringer. And listen, every church has Eunicephorus. Try saying that fast. Every church has them. You can look around and if I started naming names, we've got them in this church, you know? We've got those people that when they show up, they are there asking, "How can I help?" Or maybe not even asking, just doing. They're just doing. They're looking for, "Ah, this needs done. I've got it." This is what Anisiphorus is, the guy who shows up and he brings help. And let me tell you something, it is an enormous gift when you find these people in your life. The person who says, while everybody else is leaving, while everybody else is abandoning, I'm going to be there and I'm not going to move. This is a gift of God. This is a a hero to the Apostle Paul. And let me tell you something about him, this help bringer. He is the kind of guy who, we get some descriptions of him here that I think are really beautiful. Again, remember, this is a guy who lives in Ephesus, probably been in that church a long time. Paul says, may the Lord grant mercy to him and his household. I assume that God answered that prayer for Paul. This man, this help bringer, was a blessing to church leadership, to the church, and to his wife and kids. He brought blessing on his sphere of influence because of his obedience to God. Friends, this is something worth thinking about. This guy's obedience became a blessing to his whole household. Because he had the courage, he had the faith, he had the consistency to stay obedient to God. Paul said, may the Lord grant mercy on him and on his house. So one of the great things about this, and I want to just say this. Friends, as you obey God, as you quietly obey God, when no one but God can see it, you are bringing blessing on those who lead the church And you are bringing blessing on your family. God sees, God rewards. Now, there's a saying, and maybe you've heard this, that you've never seen a mess until you've seen a church mess. You ever seen a mess? Some of you? Seen a church mess before? (laughs) Listen, there are some that their posture really is not forest. They're going to stay, but they're going to fight it out over whether we sing hymns or contemporary. I guess that was a long time ago. That was more of a fight that used to happen. But I mean, I'm talking, people will fight it out. They'll show up to vote. They haven't been to the church, gathered church body in years. Man, there's a vote. They're showing up. (laughs) We're going to vote this person out. We're going to vote this person in. We're going to vote to do this. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. You are not an (laughs) amnesophorus. You're coming with an agenda of how do I get my needs met? That's not this guy. This guy's coming and he is being a blessing to those who lead the church. That doesn't mean he couldn't say, hey, time out. That doesn't look right or sound right. But this guy's posture is one to be a help and an encouragement. And that's what he's doing. It says that he will receive mercy. But keep looking at what else it says. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He refreshed me. When he's around, I feel lifted. I feel encouraged. I feel like I can keep going. I feel like I can keep moving forward because of him. And he did this often. So here's a man who is consistent in his encouragement. Consistently looking to serve. Consistently looking to build up. And that's what he's doing. He did this often. Often, and it says that also he was not ashamed of my chains. Well, it'd be easy to move right over that, but he says that he also, when he arrived in Rome, began to search and earnestly search until he found me. Picture this man. In a time when it would be dangerous just to even know Paul, let alone associate with him, and say, Yeah, he's my friend. He is my mentor. He is my uh, pastor. He is my whatever. This guy says, as he shows up into a city where he has no idea where Paul's at, that he will begin to search and he won't give up until he arrives at the destination right there in front of Paul. Can you picture him walking into Rome and praying and saying, Lord, I have no idea where he's at. Please lead my steps. Lead me into conversations. Give me somebody that I can talk to who can point me the right direction. And some of those conversations would not be met well. Some of those conversations, people would probably snap at him or threaten him. And he didn't give up, he courageously walked forward. Go back to where we started this sermon. Go back to this question what is it that allows me to remain engaged in my vibrant walk with God? This man is displaying everything consistency, courage, uh, encouragement, uh, staying with it to bring uh, uh, refreshment into the church, into the church leadership. He says he's not ashamed of his chains, but he continued, until he found me. This is the kind of person that we long to have in our lives. There's one thing greater than having somebody in your life like that. And you know what it is, right? Being a person like that. Asking the Lord, make me a person who refreshes other Christians who encourage us, who has faith and consistency when I want to hide, when I want to fade into the silence and just say, well, you know what? I've got salvation. I've got faith in Christ. That ought to be good enough. I've paid my dues. No more risk. No more uh, putting myself on the line. I just want to hang back. This guy's not doing that. He's walking forward in faithfulness. He's walking forward in courage and faith. All of those things. And so it says this. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. What day? What day? Well, the great day of judgment, of course. The day of the Lord. Do you know this? That there are two judgments that are coming in the future, and there's one judgment that has already passed. Two judgments that are happening in the future. One judgment has already passed. And it's my job to help you prepare for what is in front of you. As a, as a, as a shepherd, to, to help you see and understand the judgments that are coming. Well, the first one is this. I just want to read a couple of verses. Maybe you know about this. But the first judgment is the great white throne judgment. It's the great awful day of judgment it's the day of the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day again the reference to the same day that Paul is speaking about Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You workers of lawlessness. That's a a frightening thing to think about, isn't it? There's a day that is coming that is the day of judgment. Revelation chapter 20 describes it as well. Listen to this. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. From His presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. Now you're going, whoa, whoa, time out. You're scaring me to death here. Yeah, I know. It's a frightening thing, isn't it? That there is a judgment that is coming for those who have not placed any faith in Christ. They've not trusted Him for salvation. They've not confessed sin. They've not believed in Him. And they will face this judgment. And I know, statistically speaking, There are people in this room who have not yet trusted in Jesus. They're still trusting in their moral resume to be good enough somehow on that day. That when He separates the sheep from the goats, Matthew 25, that they're going to say, I'm all good because I'm a pretty swell person. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not good enough. You need a Savior. Those who refuse that Savior, the one who took our place And bore the wrath of God for our sake, the ones who trust in Him will be safe. They will not face that judgment. But those who don't have a Savior will have to face Him alone without a Savior. And I want you to hear this. The windows of grace are open today. They're open today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Believe in Him. Turn to Him. Confess your sins. Ask Him for forgiveness. Tell Him you didn't measure up and that you need a Savior. He will save you. And guess what? That judgment that I told you that had already happened, it happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. Your sins, my sins, the sins of the world were judged that day on the cross. We were found guilty. We were due the stroke of hell. Because of our sins and Jesus paid our debts, our sins have been judged. So that's two judgments. What about Christians? Do Christians, Christians who believed in Jesus, who've taken shelter under the, the blood of a lamb, do they have to face a judgment? Yes, they do. And this is the judgment that Paul is referencing here to, Anissa, uh, to Timothy when he says, may the Lord grant him mercy on that day. That day is the day that we would refer to as the Bema Seat Judgment. Christian, hear this. Even though your sins have already been judged and paid for, you still have a day of accountability in front of the Lord. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether it's good or evil. Okay, so we will face a judgment for our works as Christians. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to these words. Paul says to the Corinthian church, no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become manifest for the day, the day that Paul has been speaking to with Timothy that Jesus referenced also, that day will disclose it So, friends, here's what I want you to hear. My guess, speculating on Phygelus and Hermogenes, I think they're saved. My guess is they're saved. I wouldn't be surprised if they're saved. But somewhere in there, it got ugly, it got hard, and they went underground. And they backed up from vibrant faith that would cost them in this life. And so, Onisophorus, not so much. This man continued on serving the Lord. And in that day, when the Bema seat judgment happens, sin's already forgiven, sin's already judged, we will stand in front of the Lord to give an account for the life that we have lived. And we will stand in front of Him alone. And He will examine the way we lived our lives as Christians And you will stand in front of him to gain or lose a reward during that time. So, a pastor friend of mine, Tom Nelson, did it like this. He said, imagine this silver that is here. That this is part of what is put in front of the Lord. And then you have the rest of your life that is like this. It's just all here together, mixed in with it. And on that day, the Lord will take your life, the life that you lived as a Christian, that you were given a gift that God had placed in you that is unique to you. Your history, your experience, your spiritual gift. And Peter even said this, as each one of us has received a gift, so employ that gift as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Every single believer in this room has been given a spiritual gift. They've been given a place and a time in this particular church. And he says, now serve me. And at the end of your life, when God goes to examine what you have done, He'll light the whole thing on fire and then He'll go... (sighs) And all that's left, all that's left is what you did for the glory of Christ. Not for the glory and comfort of yourself. Not so that people would recognize and acknowledge and approve of you. But the things that you did that you said, Father, for your glory, I will use this gift. I will engage in the life of the church and I will serve you. And some of you have administrative gifts. Use them to organize the church. I promise you I need your help. You know the people that laughed right now, they know me pretty well. They're like, yeah, he does. He sure does. You ever see him try to organize one of these deals? Okay, well don't ask me to organize one of them. You know, just tell me where to stand. Okay? Uh, some of you have been given the gift to speak. There's lots of different speaking gifts, and and you should be teaching at some level. You should be teaching our kids, or you should be teaching, you should be engaged in teaching in small group. You have that gift of encouragement, and there's people that need encouragement. You have these gifts of leadership, and God is calling you forward. Not for your glory, but for his. And the time is short, and the opportunity is rich. I was speaking to Brad this morning about the growth of Georgetown and just how this area is just growing so fast. And as as a church begins to serve, and one of the things about being a member of this church is that you find your place and you serve. Every single one of us, every last member is a minister. And you serve and you engage. And as you do that, you will feel the blood pumping in your soul that keeps you vibrant in your faith. It grows the church for the glory of Christ. Listen, friends, Paul is very clear in this. As he says these words of a man you probably didn't know his name before today, most of you, he says, and you know well the service he rendered at Ephesus. Timothy, you know what your church would look like if this guy wasn't there. He served me, he's served you. May God grant that man mercy. Let me invite you in, friends. This is the most exciting thing going on in your life right now. I know that sounds, that could sound arrogant. It's not. The Lord is at work building a church, and he's going to use ordinary people like us and Onissiphoros to do us, to do that. The invitation is yours. The grace has been given, it will never be taken away. And God longs to see the name of Jesus lifted up. Let's pray.